<laughs> I was there last night. I did, I did go to bed early, though. I apologize. I was a party pooper. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. A year older. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Yes, I am feeling older every day, yes. Um, would you please pray with, pray with me for just a minute? Dear Lord, our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful weekend. Thank you for these these dedicated folks that come and, and they serve here all weekend, Lord. And and that's that's why you came. You came to serve, not to lord over, Lord. You set the example for that, Lord. Please just uh, be with me and give me your words. Um, Pastor Brad's prayer of not it being his ego, Lord, but, but you. It holds so true, Lord. May I have that prayer tonight also. Lord, um, your will be done, not mine. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so tonight's message is entitled, Am I My Brother's Keeper? It also lends itself to sister. Okay. So, but biblically, it says brother. But we all know brothers and sisters, right? That's right. Okay, so a little background on how this message got started. It was several years ago, at least four that I can think of. And we were in a service, not unlike this one. We were praise and worship it, and the speaker that night asked a question, am I my brother's keeper? And I thought to myself, that sounds right, I think I'm my brother's keeper, and hands went up all over the sanctuary, and the guy went totally left on me. I was just like, Really? I didn't know what to think, really. And I didn't know if it was because I was really young in my faith at that particular point in time. Um, I didn't have the opportunity to grow up in the church from this tall. A lot of you know that. A lot of you know that I've only uh, been a Christian for like five, six years. So I was really young in my faith, and I wasn't sure what was going on. I think I know now that it was discernment. Even at, even at that young Christian age, I do believe it was discernment because I had read scriptures such as Genesis that was conflicting what was being spoken about that night. So, I left the service conflicted and confused, and I said, God, every time I come across a scripture that helps me answer this question, I will write it in the back of my Bible. And so for the past several years, as I've sat through our Bible studies and my own devotional time, as I've come across these scriptures, I wrote them in the back of my Bible. I'm kidding you. They're all here. All over the place. All kinds of scriptures. Because I want to know what God's Word had to say about this. Because there are different views on this. Like Brad said, everybody reads the Bible just a little bit different. But as long as we all agree on salvation, all the other stuff we can we can use grace for. So, that's how... This message came to me, and uh, I hope you don't leave here confused and conflicted like I did that night. So, what do I mean when I say keeper? 
Am I my brother's keeper? I've had that conversation with several people. The best definition I could come up with is the idea of keeper is to guard, watch, protect, oversee. But it does not mean that we take on ownership for what others should be taking ownership of. We don't enable people to continue doing wrong. We don't cover for them by lying to get them out of trouble. We get ourselves in trouble there, don't we? That's right. We don't continually bail them out of situations time and time and time again. Now, everybody makes mistakes. Don't get me wrong, I make a lot of them. But the old adage, you can only make the same mistake once because the second time, it becomes a choice. So, we're not being our brother's keeper there if we continually bail them out. Parents sometimes, unfortunately, do this. And they, they grow up dependent on them. And it's hard for them to make their own decisions. And we can also do this with our brother and our sister. In that, in that instance, we're not being our brother's keeper, in my opinion. This, uh, this question was asked by Cain to God. God wanted to know where Abel was. What did Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? So this question is a question that I really still think we should ask ourselves today. Are we our brother's keeper? Are we responsible to watch out for one another? Let's look at what Genesis chapter 4, verse 8 through 10 says. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. Where they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother. Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Another version puts it this way. I have no idea. Am I supposed to be responsible for where he goes and what he does? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now Cain's response here is one of sarcasm, one of arrogance, which are signs of his inward acknowledgement of guilt. He's trying to, to, to push this off. This is, I'm not taking responsibility for this. He knows very good and well what he did. But the Lord asks him, where is your brother? It's a way for him to disclaim the responsibility. Am I responsibility? Am I my brother's keeper? Because God knew where he was all the time. It says right there, his blood cried out from the ground. So, why was he asking him that? I believe that just this adds another question to him on my brother's keeper. Do you know where your brother is at or your sister? And I don't mean Greg lives in Canyon City and Osgood's live in Oregon. I mean, do you know where your brother or your sister is spiritually? Do you pray with them? Do you spend time in small groups with them? Accountability. Do you truly know 
where they're at. So this brings me to some other examples I want to look at tonight about your brother's keeper. Because if we are spending time in our small groups and our accountability groups and we're praying for each other, then we're going to run into some situations. And one is when a brother stumbles. And here's some scripture that speaks to that. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. James 5:19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen? I found a good example in Ezekiel chapter 3, 18 and 19. When I say to a wicked person, you, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn that wicked person, and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sins, but you will have saved yourself. Now, Ezekiel himself is being held responsible for telling Israel of the coming judgment. And if he is not obedient... God is telling him that their blood will be on his hands. That's what they're talking about in Ezekiel there. And I believe that also speaks to our responsibility of seeing what we should do and not doing it. We ourselves sin. And I have a devotional that is a really good example of this. And unfortunately, this day and age, it's... uh, more and more prevalent all the time. Not in just non-Christian homes, but in Christian homes alike. And it's entitled, When a Brother Stumbles. Ted often started, startled his buddy Sam. Whenever they went out to lunch or met for coffee, Ted flirted openly with the women who waited on them. In fact, Ted seemed to flirt with almost any attractive woman he saw. At first, his flirting seemed innocent, joking around, and acting friendly. But as time went by, Sam noticed that flirting was turning into something more serious. Ted practically ogled over women. And they became a mainstay of his conversation. Worse, because of his travel and work schedule, Ted, be- <clears throat> Ted began to essentially neglect his wife and kids. Sam had conversations with a number of his friends who suspected, as did Sam, that Ted's behavior went beyond flirting. They had seen clues and heard enough from Ted himself to surmise that Ted had had a couple of affairs. One day Sam decided to intervene. I wouldn't say this if I didn't consider you a good friend, Sam began. And if I feel God wants me to confront you about this. Sam then shared his concerns about Ted's lifestyle, but Ted simply denied the accusations and asserting his innocence and the harmlessness of his behavior towards women. I'm just being friendly. Ted explained, what woman doesn't want to be paid a little attention, right? Little changed, 
The flirting and inappropriate conversation continued. Eventually, Ted's wife caught him in one affair after another. Although they tried to work things out, she became distant, the children's rebellious, and their home life chaotic. Yet even with his marriage and family unraveling before his eyes, Ted continued making poor choices. So what good came from Sam's confrontation? Did he really accomplish anything? Based on Ted's response and unwillingness to change his behavior, we might think that Sam failed. But in God's eyes, he succeeded. Through Ezekiel, God says that when we lovingly confront a fellow Christian who sins, we see it as an act of obedience. But if we see a friend who is sinning and do nothing to confront the behavior, that's a direct act of disobedience. Most important, while confronting someone's sin might not seem to do any initial good, speaking up might just save that individual from a destructive and painful life trajectory. God doesn't hold us accountable for the outcome but only for the willingness to obey when he calls. And, and I'm sure we've all been there. We all have friends that, that just don't get it. You know? And it doesn't necessarily have to be this drastic of an example. I use that because it is prevalent and it is. I am getting hooked up on things. Excuse me. <laughs> but... Uh, so it says in there, what good did it do? Um, it's one of those situations where, what's uh, the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? But uh, if you did this, you were being obedient to God and saving yourself from sin. So what do you do? Do you just give up on them? Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, Continue to pray for them. It says in Galatians 6.2, Continue to carry their burdens. Help restore them gently. They're still your brother or sister. These are those times when the accountability groups I was talking about really come into play. How we as brothers and sisters in Christ can come together in small accountability groups, holding each other accountable for situations like this, for situations at our job, for situations in our ministry. Um, there was a book that I read. It was called The Man Code. This also works for sisters, just letting you know. Uh, if anybody's read it, it was by Dennis Swanberg. And he gives really good examples of these kind of priorities we've been talking about this weekend. And the man code is 1, 3, 12, 120, 3,000. I'll give you a really brief description of how this works. Number one, anybody guess? God. Your relationship with God. That is not an option. It has to be number one, right? Brad preached a really good message about how that works last night. Three. Three are your accountability group, your small group of men or women that you go to that you can talk to about anything. And they will talk to you about anything. We'll get back to them in a second. Twelve. That was the disciples, right? 
This is a little larger group. This might be your Tuesday Bible study group. This is my Saturday men's breakfast group. This is my third Sunday at the churchman's breakfast group. doesn't necessarily have to be 12. could be 10. could be 15. Those numbers are interchangeable. Number one is never interchangeable. 120, that's kind of the average congregation these days. That is your church. That's where you serve the local body of Christ. And 3,000 is your community. That's where you serve in your community. And as I said, these numbers are tailored except for the number one. Number three is modeled by Jesus. Peter, James, and John. Out of the twelve, he picked the three. Right? That's a really good example for us. Pick your two or three or whatever that number is. Meet with these people often. Okay? These are the people that will hold you accountable. These are the people that you can talk to about anything. They won't judge you. They will love you. I have these. I have Peter, James, and John. And uh, I thank God for every day. These individuals will not fall asleep even praying with you for one hour. So what are our other responsibilities? I used what I call one another verses as examples of our other responsibilities to each other. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Edify one another, Romans 14.19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Exhort one another, Hebrews 3, 12 through 16. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Lift each other up, carry each other's burdens. Encourage one another. Consider one another, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider now how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not going up merely together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Spurring one another on. Encouraging one another. Go for it, Greg. I know you can do it, buddy. Right? <laughs> you won't try. You'll do it. We're doing this for the love of Christ. Right? That's the whole reason, right? There's a hard one. Submit to one another. How many love the Scripture? Submit one another. My wives, submit to your husbands. Huh? Yeah, this is a toughie, right? Ephesians 5.21 Submit to one another out of the reverence of Christ. This does not mean board over one another. This does not mean push one another around. This is simply being loving, caring individuals submitting to one another, praying for one another. I think that's one of the most important things we can do. James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray to each other so that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. That happens to be one of my favorite scriptures, James. 
Because when you talk about the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective, I take that extremely serious. When I talk about prayer, God kind of spoiled me in the beginning. I would go to services, and we would pray for people, and we would see people healed. I'm going to tell a little bit on Carolyn. We were, we were at a prayer service. She had been life-flighted to Boise. We were together Thursday night praying for her. We were praying so boldly, we said we want to see her walk in the church Friday night and not miss this service. Guess who walks in Friday night? She still had all the stuff on her arms and all that. But she walks in that night. Amen? So I, I really, really believe in this scripture of prayer. And every one of these, edify, exhort, consider, submit, pray, they're all ways in which we express love to one another. According to Jesus, this is one of the greatest commandments. Love one another. Second only to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Number one, that can't ever change. 1 John 3, 11 and 15. For this is a message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that you have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. It's a pretty strong scripture about how much we're supposed to love one another. One of the last examples I have here, and are also one of the hardest ones to do, is forgive one another. Why, I have no idea. It's that human thing. But Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Ephesians 4.32 And if we're edifying, exhorting, considering, submitting, praying, loving, why is it so hard to forgive? I don't I don't get it. And maybe that's it maybe maybe I'm preaching to the choir tonight, I don't know. But uh I just I see this. You know. One scripture, can't think of the address off the top of my head, I know it's in there somewhere. Actions speak louder than words, right? How do we express these one another verses? At this point, literally, there's a note here, sermon illustration. And I was hoping that God would give it to me in time. Really. I mean, when we're talking about being our brother's keeper, um, you know, a great example might be, uh, you know, my toddler was by the edge of the pool. My brother saw her ready to go in and grabbed her before I could do anything and was there for her, right? Nope, I don't have that story. And actually, I kind of thank God for that because I haven't had to have those situations. 
you know, I thank God that my kids are healthy. I mean, I think there was like one broken bone in the in the in my kids growing up. Bicycle accident. Imagine that. But uh, you know, health wise and things, you know, they haven't gone through a whole bunch of stuff, you know. I see, you know, things like Jilly, you know, and I I go, Thank you, God, that that's not my case. And I feel bad about that because it's their case. But I get to say thank you that it's not my case that my kids are healthy. So my example here comes from spending time with all you guys. My brothers keep you guys have my back. When we're out on the road with the bike ministry, worry about nothing, pray about everything, right? What do I have to worry about? My brothers are with me. They got my back. You know? We're in Idaho. Uh, not Idaho. Yeah, in Idaho. And we're at a convenience store. And Greg and Roy walk out to the parking lot. I'm dragging up behind them. Slow. I don't know what's going on. Just getting snacks. Stuff like that. And uh, I walk out. And here's this carload of guys saying stuff. I don't even know what they're saying. I do have a little bit of tone deafness. I don't know if any of you noticed. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just a tad. But anyway, what do I do? Huh? What? That didn't go over so well. It happened to be the local skinhead group. They really didn't like the looks of our Christian attire, our Christian flags. And they were saying some not-so-nice things. And... I really had this wellingness up inside of me. Because the only reason they could do that is because of the men and women that died so they could have the right to the freedom of speech. That bugged me so much. But I looked at Greg, and I won't tell you what I said to him. (laughs) But uh, he looked at me, and I knew it was time to go. We could not get caught up in what they were trying to suck us into. We couldn't be a part of it. We had to take the higher road. We had to turn the cheek, right? Example, what, what would Jesus do? That's right. We got on our bikes and we rode. But I know if things would have went south in a hurry, they would have had my back. Amen? And as a church family, you guys have my back. When we were in a situation where Don had a really bad injury, I mean, the outpour from this church was just amazing. I uh, I was very humbled by uh, by the outpour of love that you guys um, showed us. So I don't know how everybody's doing tonight. How we're doing about being our brother's keeper, or even if you agree, are we our brother's keeper? But. Uh, Ask yourself some of these questions. Do I bear do we bear one another's burdens? Do we edify one another? Do we exhort? Do we serve? Do we pray? Do we submit to each other? Do we love one another? Do we forgive one another? If anything if anyone has failed to be your brother's keeper, I have a very simple acronym for this called RCA. Anybody remember RCA? 
That's, that's not the one we're talking about. We're not talking about the record company. We're not talking about VHS tapes. RCA. R, repent. Repent about what may be hindering you from being your brother's keeper. Whatever that might be. C, confess it. Confess your shortcomings about whatever those things are that are keeping you from being your brother's keeper and give them to the Lord. And don't take them back. It's so easy to take that back after you've given it to him. Don't do that. And then A, apply. Simply apply all of these one another verses. Exhort, consider, submit, pray, love, and forgive. And uh, God will take care of the rest. So, after doing this study and looking at all these scriptures, in my heart, I believe we are a brother's keeper. I really do. So, tonight, in closing, I just, you know, I, I can't say where everybody's at tonight. Um, I hope every one of you sitting out there has a Peter, James, and a John. Like I have a Peter, James, and a John. I don't know. I get the feeling right, right now that God is telling me to say something, and I'm going to say it. Say it. We are here for our brothers and sisters. <coughs> we are there. We're standing in the place. Okay, you can't tell me there's not somebody in this church tonight that needs to have their hands laid on and prayed for. Amen. Amen. I believe in my heart that's true. And uh, what I'd like to do tonight as we close... Um, I'll close this in prayer. And I do want to give anybody and everybody an opportunity um, to come and pray. Pray for your brother. Pray for your sister. Maybe you're having trouble in one of these areas. Um, hear all kinds of things all weekend long. And I know I haven't said a lot in our little group discussions because I'm just taking it all in. And I know that's the truth. I know there's things going on out there and things going on up here that we need to pray about tonight. But also, as it says in James, the prayers of a righteous man are faithful and effective. We have brothers here that will pray for healing, anoint you in oil, pray for spiritual healing, pray for physical healing. We have that available tonight if you'd like it. Greg, he would, he would be honored to do that for you. But as we close tonight... There is a song by Jeremy Camp. It's called Give Me Jesus. The chorus is extremely, extremely simple, but very, very powerful. The words. Because we all need Jesus, right?